This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. A certain artist had some precious jewels in his possession, and when he would lose his perception of color after spending long hours painting on the canvas, he would take out those precious jewels and he would look at them and he would have his perception of color restored. Certain football coach went into the locker room and said to his team that wasn't doing so well, gentlemen, this is a football. I would say to you today, this is the Bible. And this is God's book, the greatest book that has ever been written. And there is power in the Word of God. Sometimes we need to get back to basic things. Get back to things that are fundamental to help restore our perception of how life ought to be. Today we want to talk about the power of God's Word. And I hope that you'll stay tuned as we discuss this very important topic today. I'm Billy Lambert. I'm the regular speaker on Getting to Know Your Bible. And we certainly appreciate you tuning in to watch today. And I want you to stay tuned to get the information about a free Bible correspondence course that we offer. We want to pause long enough. You can learn how to receive the Bible course. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm reading now from the fourth chapter of Hebrews, chapter, chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, where the Bible reads like this, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even asunder to the dividing asunder the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That passage of Scripture tells us there is power in the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful. There was power in the Word of God to create everything that exists. He created all through the Word of His power. And there is the power in the Word of God to destroy everything that He created. But there is power in the Word of God for our lives today. Let, let's think about that power for just a little while. What is there about the Bible that is powerful? Well, the Bible is powerful enough to illuminate the path of darkness. And we would have to agree that we're living in a world of darkness. It's spiritual darkness, moral darkness. It is ethical darkness. 
And the Bible says that the whole world lies in wickedness. That's just another way of saying the whole world lies in darkness. And so in the midst of that, that darkness, we need something that can furnish us light so that we can find our way through life. And that which will furnish us light is the Word of God. The psalmist declared in the 119th Psalm, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So you see, there's power in the word of God to, to enlighten us and to furnish us light for living. There's no point in our living in darkness, not when we have the light of God's word. But there's also power in the Bible to create faith. How does one receive faith? One man in a book of his wrote this statement, and I have this in my possession. He said faith is a miracle. Well, I would have to uh, not agree with that because the Bible teaches that faith comes as a process. And the process of receiving faith is not miraculous that is, separate and apart and beyond God's established laws, but there's a process in which we receive faith. That process is explained to us in Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we get receive faith as a result of being exposed to the teaching of the Word of God. By faith, we learn about God, we learn about Jesus, we learn about the Holy Spirit, we learn about the way of salvation by studying the Bible. And, you know, I could observe nature and be convinced that there must be someone out there that made it all. As a matter of fact, the Bible affirms that in Psalms 19 and 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. But I might see all of that and be convinced that there was some intelligence behind everything. But I might begin to think, well, maybe there are several hundred uh, powers behind all of that. I'm indebted to the Bible to tell me that there is one God who is above all, through all, and in you all, Ephesians 4 verse 6 tells us, and that that one God is the creator of all things. And I, so I'm indebted to the Bible to create faith in my heart in God, in God alone, in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and in the Holy Spirit as the one who revealed the Word of God to mankind. And so faith comes by hearing the Bible. We do not receive it in some way that's better felt than told in some uh, unusual way. We receive faith by teaching, by teaching the Word of God. So there's power in the Bible to create faith in our hearts. Faith is described for us by the, the Hebrew writer like this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing in God, it's believing in Jesus, it's believing in the, in the Holy Spirit, it's believing in the spirit world, it's believing in heaven and hell, it's believing in Jesus as the only way of salvation. All of those things come by being taught the Bible. So the Bible has power to create faith in our hearts. 
Jesus in John chapter 17 in verses 20 and 21. And he said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through thy word, that they all may be one as thy Father art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe thou hast sent me. Did you notice what Jesus said? That they may believe through their word. You see, faith comes as a result of being taught the word of the living God. But there's also power in the Bible, not only to create faith in our hearts, but it also there is power in the Bible to help us to live happy, joyful lives. I'm speaking to someone right now who may be lacking in that type of a life. You may be so unhappy right now that you are just at your wit's end, so to speak. But let me tell you, the, the best way to live your life is to live your life in harmony with the will of God Almighty. In Psalms, the first chapter, the, the psalmist begins like this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But listen to him now. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The happy person is that individual who delights in the law of the Lord. And you meditate on his law constantly. He says day and night. There are a lot of unhappy people in our world. That accounts for the reason many people go to doctors and psychiatrists and the like. There was one man who went to the doctor and he said, Doctor, I'm so unhappy and I just don't know what to do. I'm miserable. The doctor says, Well, that there's, a, there's a circus in town and they have a clown that said, and they say that that clown can make the most despondent person laugh and you just need to learn how to laugh some. He said, Doctor, you don't understand. I am that clown. There are a lot of despondent people in our world today. But the Bible is that book that will help us to live lives of happiness and joy. That doesn't mean we'll always be free of problems in our life. Absolutely not. But, but we will know how to live faithful, productive lives in the service of God. So the, the, there's power in this book. To help you live a happy life. You know, Jesus did not come into the world to make people miserable. No, no. He did not come into the world to condemn people. That's exactly what he said in John the third chapter. I came not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And in John 10 and verse 10, he said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And it is by following this book. It is by following the Bible that you'll have a better life. You can live a life of joy and happiness and peace and contentment. It teaches you how to do that. For example, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses six and seven, be careful for nothing. That simply means don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you see, by following this book, we can have peace.
that passes all understanding. But there's power in this book to reproduce seed, to reproduce itself. Now, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, Jesus said that the Word of God is the seed of the kingdom, and seeds produce after their kind. I cut an article out of the Mobile Press Register many years ago, and it was entitled, 2,000-year-old seed produced tomatoes. And as I read the article, I learned that there was some seed uh, calculated to be around 2,000 years old found in a tomb in, in, in China. And they wondered what kind of seed they must be and whether or not they would uh, germinate and produce any kind of fruit. So once they planted these seed that were 2,000 years old, they did produce some kind of a plant. They wondered what kind of a plant it would be. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years old, and yet when those seed were planted, they produced, a, they, they, those seed were planted, they made a plant. But then they produced tomatoes. 2,000-year-old seed produced tomatoes. 2,000 years prior to that, when those seed were planted, they produced tomatoes. 2,000 years later, when those seed were planted, Guess what? They produce tomatoes. I hold in my hand a 2,000-year-old seed. That is, the gospel of Christ is almost 2,000 years old. And when that seed is planted, as it was given originally in the first century, it will produce in the 21st century the same thing it produced in the first century. And if not, why would it not? You see, seed produces after its kind. Suppose a farmer went out into his field and he tilled the soil and then he planted corn seed in the ground. What he's expecting in the fall when harvest time comes are stalks of corn filled with great big ears of corn. What would he think if he had those stalks of corn and there were potatoes growing on those stalks? You say, well, it just wouldn't happen that way. Why not? Because if you plant corn seed, then all you're going to reap in, the, in return is more of the same kind. And when we take the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, without adding to it, without taking away from it, without trying to substitute for it, we just plant the plain, simple seed of the kingdom without putting our twist on it. You know what I mean. Sometimes preachers put their little twist on things we just take it as it is. It will produce today the same thing it produced in the 21st century. Suppose that men forgot all about the game of football. Now, I can't imagine that happening today because that's, that's, that's what people are all interested in during football season. Football, football, football. But suppose men stopped playing the game of football for 150 years. And one day, someone found a rule book, and it was the rules for playing football. How could you play football 150 years from now if men had stopped playing football, and yet you wanted to play football like they did 150 years ago? How would you do that? You say, well, all you'd have to do is you'd take the rule book 
and follow the rules 150 years away from the time that they had last been played and play them now as they were played 150 years ago. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Well, that's what we need to do with the Bible. If I want to know what to do to be saved, all I need to do is to go back to the Bible and learn what men, women, boys, and girls did in the first century to be saved. And we do that today. And the book of Acts is just filled with all kinds of examples of what people did in the first century to be saved. And, and when we, if you were to take all those examples of conversion from the second chapter of Acts to the eighth chapter of Acts to the ninth chapter of Acts to the tenth chapter of Acts to the, to the uh, 16th chapter of Acts to the 18th chapter of Acts and I may have thought of, of forgotten one somewhere that's in between. All of those examples of conversion, they all did the same thing. They believed on Jesus. They repented of their sins. They confessed faith in Christ and they were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. So that's what they did in the first century. Now what churches of Christ throughout the world today are urging men and women everywhere to do is to join with us in just going back to the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God as it was taught in the first century, and teach it in the 21st century the way it was taught in the first century. You see, there's power in the seed of the kingdom to produce the same kind of fruit today that it did in the very beginning. But there's power in the Word of God to convert men to Christ. And men need to be converted to Christ. Now you say, well, what does the word convert mean? Convert mean? Well, I think it's good to, to define our terms. Sometimes preachers use words that we just assume people know what they mean. We use words like propitiation or justification and the like, our reconciliation. We just assume people know what that means. I have learned that many people do not even understand the meaning of the word gospel. I'll tell you about what that really means. It means good news, and, and I want to have the good news to talk to you about. That's Jesus, the good news about Jesus' life, death, burial, his resurrection, and his expected return. That's gospel. That's good news. But we assume people understand words like conversion. Well, what does it really mean? It means to turn again. It means to change. We talk about water being converted into steam. We, we talk about wood being converted into paper. See, it's, there's a change that has taken place. And we are converted to Christ in order that we might have our sins forgiven. Let me read three passages of Scripture and, and let's just try to analyze a little bit of what they have to say to us. The first passage is in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15 where Jesus said, For this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, should be converted and I should heal them. Now, the Second passage is found in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 3, where Jesus said, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the third passage I call your attention to is in Acts 3, verse 19, where Luke recorded, Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. 
Now these are conclusions I reached from those three passages of Scripture. To be healed spiritually, that is to have my sins forgiven, I must be converted to Christ. That's according to Matthew 13 and 15. And then in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, I must be converted and become like little children. Third, that my sins may be blotted out. According to Acts 3.19, I must be converted. Now the question is, what is it that converts people to Christ? I want to read to you now from the 19th Psalm in verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You see, there's power in the Bible to convert men to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's power in the Bible, power to convert us. Well, how are men converted to Christ? Somebody says, well, I think that all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and you'll be converted. Another says, I think that you'll have to have some unusual experience of, of grace where the Holy Spirit works on you separate and apart from the Bible. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The, the Holy Spirit operates on our hearts, not separate and apart from the Bible, but through the Bible, using the Bible as an instrument. Suppose a man goes out into the woods to cut down a tree. Maybe he has a fireplace. He wants firewood. So he goes out with a chainsaw, and he takes the chainsaw, and he cuts down the tree. Now let me ask you a question. What cut down the tree? Well, you say the man cut down the tree. Well, another says, no, the chainsaw cut down the tree. I submit to you that the man without the saw would have been useless in cutting down the tree, and the saw without the man would have been useless in cutting down the tree. You see, the man used an instrument to cut down the tree, and the Holy Spirit uses the book that he inspired men to write to convert the hearts of men and women. We can't have even have faith in Jesus without the Bible. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. So we're converted when we're taught. You see, in Bible conversion, there must be a change of our intellect from a state of unbelief to a state of belief. Now, it may be that you have been a believer all of your life, from, the, from, the, from your childhood on, and it may be you cannot even remember a time that you did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's a wonderful thing. There are others that may be watching now that have, have had doubts about Jesus. And so you have not yet come to that point where you are a believer in Jesus Christ. To be converted to Christ, there must be that change in your life. To, from being in a state of unbelief to being in a belief. And that's produced by teaching. They shall all be taught of God. Everyone that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That's in John 6 and verse 45. So we have to be taught to come to Christ, taught the Bible, and faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by His Word. But in, in addition to having a change of our intellect, there must be a change of our lifestyle.
And that change of lifestyle is produced by repentance. The Lord is not going to save an individual who refuses to repent of his or her sins. Well, he actually said, I tell you, nay, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's found in your Bible in Luke the 13th chapter in verse 3. So it's repent or perish. And so to be converted, that we must repent of our sins. And that requires making some changes in our life. And I've often thought that in the conversion process, that the change of our lifestyle is the most difficult thing. For example, if you're prone to use foul language and take God's name in vain, when you're converted to Christ, you're going to have to make some changes in the way you talk. It may be that you're very careless with your temper. And if you're going to be converted to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to make some changes in your temperament. It may be that that uh, before, prior to your conversion that you, were, you, you did not dress properly. You dressed in a rather careless, loose, provocative way. Well, if you're going to be converted to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches you ought to dress yourself modestly and not in a provocative way. So there are a lot of changes that we have to make when we come. It may be that, that you've had hatred in your heart toward fellow man. If you're going to be converted to Jesus Christ, you must supplant that hatred with love. You need to become a person who not only loves the Lord, but you love your neighbor like you love yourself. You see, you can't be converted without having a change of your heart, the change of your intellect, which is faith, and must repent of your sins and change the way that you live your life. But in Bible conversion, there must be a change of one state. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 that there were those that were without Christ, outside of Jesus Christ, and without hope. But when we are converted to Christ, we are not without Christ, we are in Christ, and we have hope. And how does one get into Christ, and what are the benefits of being in Christ? Well, when a person is in Christ, they have access to every spiritual blessing that heaven affords. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If there was no other passage of Scripture in all of the Bible except that one, I would want to know, I would want to be certain I was in Jesus Christ. Because all spiritual blessings are in Him. I don't have them if I'm outside of Christ, without Christ, without hope. But in Christ, I have those blessings. And that leads me to ask myself this question. Billy, how would you get into Jesus? How does one get into Christ? And the Bible teaches in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Yes, there's power in the Bible to convert men to Christ. Would you not obey Jesus today? He loves you. He died to save you. And I love you, and I want you to go to heaven one day. I want to thank you for watching, getting to know your Bible today. And I want to encourage you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. 
And also pick up the telephone right now. Call for the free Bible correspondence course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214.